We're continuing in our series in Galatians. We are today in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 7, where we read, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who would unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Oh, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. It's the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you have spoken to us, Lord. And we thank you, God, that you still speak through your word. So I pray this morning you would speak to us, speak to our minds, speak to our hearts, speak to our spirits, Lord, through your word. We pray that we would, like the Apostle Paul, be so insistent on the truth of the gospel and no other truth, Lord, that we would show the world who you are, that we would, Lord, bring that truth everywhere we go, that we would live our lives in light of that truth, God. So just work on our hearts this morning, Lord, because we need more of you, Lord. We need so much more of you, God. So work in our hearts by your grace and your goodness, Lord. Be with Pastor Dave as he preaches, Lord. May he just be a, a vessel of your spirit, Lord. May your spirit convict. May your spirit encourage. May your spirit draw us to you through him. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Hey, good morning, all. Yeah, that's hearty. I like that. Makes me feel like I'm in church. All right. Um, Hopefully you're not just coming by for the first time. If you are, welcome. But we've been in the book of Galatians, and um, I cannot believe we are already kind of midwaying our, our way through chapter 5. Right? It's only one more chapter left. I kind of want to let it hang out for a little while. But today's text does have a lot uh, to it. <clears throat> as... Um, you know, as, as we look at this, I, I want to basically kind of go back a little, and I'm, I'm going to have to lean on a lot of uh, Pastor Lee's beginning of chapter 5. Um, uh, his title for his message was Set Free for Freedom, if you remember last week. And I'm, I'm going to lean on it so much, I said, you know what, maybe I could do something fancy with those words. So I titled mine... Set Free for Freedom, Part 2. Now, that's not the title, but, but it, at the outset of this chapter, <clears throat> we have what, what Pastor Lee broke down to us. You have what's called the indicatives and the imperatives. Those are kind of fancy words, and really the indicative indicates what Christ's word is. It shows us what God has done. And then the imperative basically says, 
based on what God has done, this is what you do. So you have this balance between these things. And basically, another way to put it is that God has done what he does, gives us an opportunity to do what he asks us to do in the power of his spirit. And that's what we have happening at the beginning. And it's, we're anchored right in the beginning of this kind of uh, indicative imperative thing, right at the first verse of chapter five. And it says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Right, there's the indicative and here's the imperative. So stand firm. That's how it starts. And that's where we're anchored in, and we're going to see that run throughout the rest of this chapter. But what does he say? He says, stand firm, and he says, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. And you know that's what's been going on here in Galatians. It's this, this whole idea that these folks came in, and they're basically saying that Christ is not enough. And throughout this little epistle, the... Uh, you know, uh, Paul has basically argued that, you know what, Christ is enough. He is complete. That everything that you had when me and Barnabas came to town and gave you the gospel, that is enough to see you before God in heaven. That is enough. And yet, something has happened along the way. And Paul has now seen that their joy has been robbed. Their assurances have been robbed. Right? We saw in the previous chapter, chapter 4, he's, he's telling them, hey, don't act like slaves, man. You're not slaves to the law anymore. You are heirs. Heirs to God. You are heirs to God. So he's trying to encourage them in this imperative. He says, listen, stand firm in your faith because Christ has set you free. But he gives this most impactful argument against the law in verse 4. And he says this. This is, this is probably the most emphatic one. He says, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. He's saying, you guys are using the law. You're, you're using bits of the law. You're using enough of the law that you think is going to make you secure in Christ. And it's actually going to do the very opposite, the very opposite that you think. And he ends in verse 6, and he says, he reminds them again. He says, circumcision or uncircumcision, none of it counts for anything but only faith working through love. So there you have kind of like the foundation that's going to kind of run through now uh, through our text today, in, uh, starting at verse 7. And in verse 7, the beginning of verse 7, uh, Paul uses a metaphor. Now we see a lot of metaphors in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. But we have this metaphor, and I'll, I'll just share a quick story with you. I, I had a friend at work, uh, big time runner. This guy's got like multiple marathons under his belt, um, always in local races. And there was a time when I thought that maybe I might, perhaps, possibly, might, maybe 
run the marathon. So I would ask him questions all the time. By the way, if you want to know if I actually ran, I did not. Just want to get that out there so I could just get to the sermon. But I would ask him many questions, and, and he said something that was, it always stayed with me. It always stayed with me. He said, he said, the marathon is long. He said, that's a long race. He said, but you don't run scared. He said, you don't run in a way that says I may not make it. He says, you're going to make it. You run your race. He says, run, don't be afraid. I thought that was kind of profound. But you have this kind of vision right here in the beginning of verse 7. He says, he says to the Galatians, you guys were running well. You guys were doing good. You had a nice pace. But then he asked this question to follow. And he says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? And at that question in the next few verses, basically we're going to look at the tactics of a false teacher, the tactics that false teachers use, at least in this context. But I would say that if you look at the church at large, you could say those tactics are being used even today. So Paul starts out with this question, who hindered you from obeying the truth? And it's very interesting, the who, we already know, there's a rhetorical question, right? The Judaizers, right? You've been with us for a while, that's, that's been, we know that already, and he asked this rhetorical question, but the first part of the question is a singular, male singular, who as if it's one person, I want you to put a pin in that, we'll come back to that, who hindered you from obeying the truth. The gospel is the truth of God, right? Everybody agrees? Do you know that the gospel is to be obeyed? When we appeal to people to obey the gospel, we're not really sharing an option. We are saying, obey the command of God. That is sharing the gospel. Acts 6-7, the word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Romans 16-26, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all nations leading to the obedience of faith. He's telling them now, someone has hindered you from obeying the faith, obeying the truth. And this word hindered is interesting because it's not like, oh, you're kind of getting in the way. The, the word in Greek is ekopto. Put my Greek out there for real quick for you. Not that I know any. Ekopto, uh, and it, it actually has a military bearing. It basically means someone blew up the road that you were on, and now you cannot get to your destination. That's what hindered means in this case. Someone blew that road up, and there seems to be no way for you to get to where you want to go. That's the first one. 
the hindrance. Someone has interfered with that progress. And we go to verse 8, and he says this. He says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you, meaning Christ did not call you to this. The Spirit of God has not called you to works in that way. It has not. He has not. But yet you have been persuaded. Persuaded in this instance is almost, I, the best example I could give is 2 a.m., infomercial comes on, and you're like, ah, that's ridiculous. By the time the infomercial is ended, you're like, honey, hand me the phone. Right? It's that type of persuasion. It is the, on the onset, this was not acceptable. But somehow, you guys have made me, who was free in Christ, walking in the joy of the Lord, made me feel like, and I got to do a few more things. It's not enough what I'm doing. I'm, I'm coming up short. I got to start with circumcision. And then I got to follow some festivals. And then I got to watch what I eat. So somehow they persuaded them that the joy and the freedom that they had in Christ was not enough. They hindered, they persuaded. And then he says this thing in verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. We've heard that before, right? We, we're, you're familiar with leaven? Causes dough to rise. So what they call a foaming agent. You don't need a lot of it. Permeates all the dough very quickly with very little. As a matter of fact, in those days, what they would do is they would knead their bread, and then they would take a piece of that dough and store it. Because all they have to do is take a piece of that dough and add it to the new dough. And that would also permeate. That's how, that's how it would infiltrate. And oftentimes in the word, not every time, it speaks of sin and corruption. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 16, 6, Jesus said to the disciples, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Watch their teaching. Watch their hypocrisy. It's going to influence you. Be careful for that. And here, Paul is now saying, I remember I said put a pin in that. Paul is showing us that one person with false doctrine can infect everyone. One person with false doctrine, doctrine that is askew of what God has told us is the truth can affect everyone. It can infect and infiltrate. It could corrupt. And it's usually very imperceptible until you get to a point where, yeah, you know, as a church, we would never, ever consider this. But now we don't see a problem with gay marriage at all. And actually, we used to think the scripture was inerrant, but now we realize that there's a lot of variation, and it gives a lot of variation to how we live our lives now. As a matter of fact, if you could interpret some things, it kind of relaxes things a little. 
And really what you have is a scripture that says God is not holy. And God will not call his church to task. That is the modern age we live in. That we could sue that now. <clears throat> and it, Paul is showing that this is how it infiltrates the church. This is how it affects the church. And this, Galatians, is how you have been affected. So those are the three. I know I owe you one more. I said there's four. But we go to verse 10, and he says this. And he gives the Galatians a vote of confidence. He says, hey, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, penalty whoever he is. He said, hey, guys, I don't have confidence in you. But I have confidence that the Lord will finish what he began in you. I have confidence that wherever you think you are, nothing will snatch you from the grip of God. That's scripture. That nothing will snatch you from the grip of the Son. That he who began a good work in you will complete it. God is going to complete it despite how it looks with these Judaizers in town. I am confident of that, he says. He says, I'm confident of something else, too. He says, whoever's troubling you will bear the penalty. And I'll draw your attention to Matthew 18.6, because it makes it clear what the destiny of ungodly teachers are. Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, Jesus said, it is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depth of the sea. He says, it's better that you choose that option than what you will have to deal with if you take my little ones and take them astray. Verse 11, he says this, he says, but if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. What is he talking about here? The Judaizers were accusing Paul. They were like, hey man, you're given an easy message, a kind of friendly message. So when you get into the Jewish community, you say, hey man, everything you guys are doing, circumcision, the law, ceremonies, it's cool, and you could add Jesus to that. And then when you get to the Gentiles, you're like, eh, you guys got to go by way of the cross. This is how you must do. So you're basically giving this message, which kind of reflects the modern church, that appeases the listener. It makes the listener feel like, oh, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. And this was the accusation. And they kind of dogged Paul at every turn. If you look at Acts, after, after Paul's conversion, wherever Paul went, the Judaizers, the Jews, were there to dog him out, wherever he went. They were always, it was like a, a, a negative fan crew. <laughs> they would just always be wherever he was. And he's like, hey, guys, listen, if what you're saying is right, then why am I still being persecuted? Why? Because what you're saying is wrong. And really, the cross is an offense. And that's why I'm being persecuted. Because to the Jews, remember, a crucified Messiah 
does not make sense. The Messiah comes with a sword in his hand and he deals with power and he deals with the government. He deals with Rome. That's what we're looking for. Crucified Messiah. Are you kidding me? What about the rest of us? Well, the rest of us, I guess, kind of fall under 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, what men hate about the gospel is that they have nothing to offer God. We have absolutely nothing to offer God. That Christ saves all by himself. And that we have to come to the foot of the cross with nothing in our hands but the sin at the core of our being. That's how we come to the cross. We come with absolutely nothing. And our pride rages against that. That I can't do for me what you are doing. And that's why I have to bow. Because there's nothing that I offer that cross. And that's why it's so offensive. But it is the very tool that God used to bring salvation through the death of his son. And we should never forget that. In, in light of, you know, you, you look at this and you say, wow, this is the path, and I, I didn't name the fourth one, which is detraction. False teachers will detract from true teachers. They will say that the true teacher is false. And that's what they were doing to Paul. So you have hindrance, persuasion, you have what I called infection, right? How leaven kind of just breaches. And you have detraction. And you say, well, man, I, how do we protect ourselves, man? Because I, I want us all to be aware. Luke 13, 24 says this. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Many are going to try to get in and will not be able to. Many churches are going to try to get in and will not. Many people who claim some kind of church affiliation are going to try to get in. And they won't be able to. And I want to make sure we as a church, we as a people, not only strive to get in, but get in that we actually get it. I read a little thing by this, uh, he's an English physicist and engineer. His name is E.H. Bruce. And I want to throw this out there as our protection, a little thing for us to think about. He says this. He says, no matter how attractive or pious a doctrine may appear, it is not to be received as coming from God unless it passes the double test. Number one, does it make Christ central and glorify him? Number two, does it exalt the grace of God over against the activity of man? Let's finish up on our last couple of verses. Paul changes directions now. He's kind of, he's like, listen, this is what these guys are, right? But now he goes back to the flag he planted at the beginning of the chapter. 
He says, but hey, brothers, you were called to freedom. You were called to freedom. And then he lays this out with a warning. He says, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for your flesh. Right? Because I'm free. I am truly free in Christ. I'm, I'm so free. I can't believe it. It's true. I'm free. But sometimes when you think of freedom, sometimes you think it's kind of like the right to sin. Right? When you use the word freedom generally. Sometimes it's the privilege. I feel the privilege to kind of do whatever my little evil heart desires. Freedom in Christ is a little different. It's a spirit-given desire. It's a spirit-given ability to do the things I should do before a holy God. The things that I should do before a holy God. And, and, and here's something interesting. He says, don't use it as an opportunity to serve your flesh, but through love, serve one another. He's saying, listen, the antidote for you wanting to serve yourself is go serve your neighbor in a loving way. He's going back to Leviticus. In Leviticus 19, I didn't put all the scripture here. Leviticus, Leviticus 19, I think the 17th verse talks about this. Love my neighbor as myself. But if you look at Leviticus in the whole chapter, starting actually in the 10th verse, it talks about all these ways to love your neighbor. And Paul just captures it all and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And don't tell me you don't know how to love yourself. Think about the many ways you love yourself and hug your neighbor with it. Hug your neighbor with it. And he actually twists the words. He actually uses a play on words. At the beginning, he says, don't be a slave, right? Don't fall into the slavery of what these guys are teaching you, right? Don't fall into the slavery of the law. Don't fall into the slavery of this circumcision they're calling you. He uses this word called dulguo. And now he uses the same word when he says, this is how you should serve your neighbor. I become a slave to the call of Christ. I become a slave to how I love my neighbor. And it is profound. It is profound. He says this. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, that I love my neighbor as myself. And then he brings us to verse 15, which is kind of askew. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And I look at that, I'm like, whoa, what just happened? And what happened is that these folks were starting to operate under the law. And here's what happens when you start to operate under the law. You start to look at yourself. I start to look at how I'm performing. 
I start to look at how you're performing and you guys are doing terribly. That's what happens under the law. I start to feel like, hey man, I'm doing a lot of the law stuff. I'm doing a lot of the legal stuff. You're not. Or I start to feel like, ah, oh, look at who's coming. She always thinks she does the law better than everyone else. And we start biting at each other. Because what we forget is that the law does not give us the power to do the things of God. The law only shows my weakness. It shows that I can't do those things. And if I'm starting to operate under the law and not under God's grace, then I'm going to start biting you, man. As a matter of fact, the way they say biting, and basically it's very animalistic, the way the scripture is written. You guys are clawing at each other. And he says, this is typical of saints that are trying to be sanctified by keeping the law, by their own power, by their own strength. And the problem is we can't do it. That's why you can't get, let legalism get a hold in your life. And it's very easy. And I'm going to describe to you how easy it is. And I'll conclude with this. You were running well, weren't you? Right? That's how he starts this, this verse. He says, you were running well. And then he asked the question. And he asked the question because he's basically trying to jar the Galatians to say, listen, you guys were running well, were you? And what happened now? What happened now that now when you come to church, it feels like a burden. What happened? That now you sing and it's like, ah. Uh, what happened that, you know what? I don't even go to that study anymore. I kind of just lost steam. He's saying, what happened to you guys? What happened when you start to operate under your own power? These things become law now. All the things that we have been called to do, which enriches the life of a believer, becomes law when we do them without the power of God. And, we, and, and the only reset I could give you is, how do, you, how do I come out of that state where I'm no longer persuaded by the things that have no meaning? Where I'm no longer drawn and hindered, where the road is blown up before me. How do I come back and I will bring you back to the offense of the cross? That is how you come back. Because the cross is an offense not only to the one who doesn't know Christ, it is also an offense to the one who because somehow in our walks along the way, we start to feel like, I think I got the hang of this. It's about eight parts God and two parts me. And the only reset to that is to come back to the cross. And you know what the cross reminds us? What I said earlier. Hey, guy, you bring nothing to the table. But I love you anyway. 
and I will fill you, God says, with my spirit, and it will give you the power to do this life, to do this life in churches that don't preach the truth, to do this life in a, in a world that culture is trying to choke you out, to do this life with power. How do I, yeah, I'm a Christian, what are you? To do this life with power so that you could complete the task I give you to do. The things that I have created for you before the beginning of the world, I had things set for you as my people. Things for you to do. Things strictly for you. The Spirit gives us power to do that. Let's pray. Father, um, I ask that you would, uh, I, I think we're all aware of the outside of these doors, Lord. But it would be a terrible shame if we came in here not seeing who you are, not realizing your grace, thinking that this is just something I do. So I ask that you would forgive us. I ask that you would draw us back to you in a way that shows us the cross and how that cross reveals our inability from day one to the day you call us home. We have no ability before you, Lord but your grace is sufficient. Help us to saturate ourselves with that grace so we could know the joy of salvation, that we could bring this joy to someone else and show them, yes, you must obey the gospel, but God will fill your life. The living God will fill your life. Fill us, Lord, anew. Father, bring your word to life in our hearts. Help us to recognize a love for each other that truly shows that we are yours. These things we ask, and we ask by your mercy, Father, that you would fill us with what Hebrews calls the spirit of grace. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.